Welcome to Pause Vibe Podcast, a podcast for HIV positive people, their friends, family, and allies. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Well, 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 Veda. <laughs> Do you know well, what we well, are? Well. We are award winning. We are award winners. <laughs> We're an award winning podcast. We are. We are. With an award-winning documentary. Yeah, of course. <laughs> yes, where's the Oscars? <laughs> yeah, doing all right. Yeah, thank you so much, Gallas and GCN, for our award. I had so much fun receiving it. <laughs> yeah, it was really, really nice. And um, I think it's just, you know, the award is for the podcast, but of course, every single person who's contributed throughout the years. We've been doing this two years now, Veda. It's the Noel Walsh HIV Activism Award, mm-hmm. and it's my second time to receive it. <gasps> you won this before? Yes. <laughs> I kept that to myself. <laughs> Where did you win it? During lockdown, um, LGBT Ireland biked it over to me. I have it inside. Um, yeah, and it's the same award, but there was no galas, okay. no gala oh, ceremony at the time, but there still were awards. So oh. yes, yes, it's my second uh, award, and I love it very much. But I'm going to give it to you, Robbie. I want you to take it home. Well, I don't want her. Well, yeah. <laughs> well, do you know what? I didn't. Uh, this is my first time winning as part of a team, but it's actually my second time winning as part of the team because Act of Dublin. Award. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Act of Dublin won in twenty nineteen, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, it was the last one before uh, the COVID closures and stuff like that. So, uh, uh, yeah, I've been. Who do you prefer, me or them? <laughs> <laughs> That's for another podcast. Oh my god! <laughs> but um, yeah, just thank I you to, to everyone. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but just thank you to everyone who's contributed or shared their story on the Positive Podcast. This um, award is for you. Thank you to Esther and to Lav, our beautiful producer and designer, and Dublin Pride for sponsoring us, and Ronan, who is our gorgeous sponsor for Australia and making that season possible too. Yeah, it's amazing news. Also, I got some great news yesterday. I can't spill the tea yet, but we're working on a World AIDS Day party in the George on Friday, the 1st of December. And uh, I think we booked someone really amazing. So I'm super excited about that. I think it's really good. We always try and make World AIDS Day like a protest, of course, to say like, look, there's so much shit that still needs to be done in HIV in Ireland and of course around the world. But we really wanted to make it a celebration as well. It's not all doom and gloom. We're like, look, we're at living with HIV today. You can thrive. And I just think the, the next guest or the person we're going to have for World AIDS Day is really going to highlight that. Dream come true. Also, I just love bringing the tribe together, getting the yeah. gang together. And the more people that can come to these things is the better the activism is. Mm-hmm. The more people we can talk to about HIV and encourage to get tested, to get on PrEP, to know what their status is, the better. So, and I love having the support of the George and there's gonna be some other people getting involved to help us out too. So more about that later. Do you know what I love about those events is the energy is so alive and so supportive that for the people who aren't about out about their status or just recently diagnosed or who will be diagnosed, you just feel the love in the room. I remember being in full drag for the first time on World AIDS Day, you dragged me up and even I was blown away. I didn't know there was so much community support for HIV until you get that big love like hug in the room. It's really, really incredible. Yeah, it's great. And speaking of which, there was an awful lot of love in the room at the galas. Mm-hmm. And some of the love in the room is in the room with us now as well. The our friend, friends. our friend Patrick is here. Hi Patrick, how are you getting on? Hi guys, congratulations on your win. <laughs> I, can I tell you a secret? I nominated you the day that they opened the oh, awards. Oh, thank, thank you. you. So it well was deserved. You, then. Well, it, it was, was you. Me, yeah. <laughs> well done, thank guys. You. Congratulations wow. again. People are gonna think it's rigged. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, rigged and wigged, boy. <laughs> and ribbed. <laughs> ribbed for, for, for your pleasure. Ribbed for your pleasure. Yeah. Patrick, I'm so happy you're here with us. Finally. Um, it's a long time coming. Delighted to be here, Robbie. I mean, it's great to sit here and chat to the two of you. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I find listening to you is amazing. It's such a positive thing to do. I like to, to just hear guys talking about their status in such an open, positive way without stigma. There's no stigma in the room. You don't feel it on the podcast. It's amazing. And I, like, I just wanted to hear more of that and hope mm. I can bring some of that too. So And you will. Good. Uh, I'm disappointed that you're not painted gold and wearing a G-string. <laughs> I didn't think you'd remember 1986. Was it 96? 96. Was it 96? It was 96 because Sh- uh, Shirley was 97. Okay, amazing. Yeah. What's this now? This was the alternative Miss Ireland. You were so in it. It was the comeback of the alternative Miss Ireland. Mistress was the winner. I was one of her golden dancers golden soaps basically <laughs> and who was the other one um, Colin but I can't remember his name he, I think uh-huh. he went off to do river dance and oh, wow. has been dancing, <laughs> his across, dancing his way across the world ever since possibly and yeah. what about you oh I haven't been dancing the <laughs> just in the George and still wearing the else. tongue yes <laughs> okay, occasionally it still fits yeah. <laughs> why not is there photos Yes. Um, there are photos and right. we won by the way so that was oh, well, wow. well, Miss Dress won for that and Miss Dress was my childhood neighbour absolutely Tara Sly Tara Sly the beautiful Tara Sly the absolutely work. stunning Tara and Sly she was working in AIDS Ireland at the time I think if wow. I remember correctly so wow. that's how I came to know Tara I wasn't diagnosed at that stage uh-huh. but I just kind of fell in with that crew when I came up to Dublin which was 1996 it was just a year beforehand uh-huh. so you so, got to love Dublin. It's so small. <laughs> and you got to love the AMI as well because yeah. for both of us, I was involved in the AMI and, and through the AMI in HIV activism long before I was living with HIV, just like you. Mm-hmm. And it's just amazing how that kind of artivism kind of makes future you. fighters. Um, have you stopped throwing briquettes through windows? Um, well, no. that's kind of, it's a myth. It's an alternative <laughs> myth, Ireland. But that's another story, I guess. <laughs> oh, well, I want to hear that off off, off recorder too <laughs> come here so you've lived in Dublin all your life um, well I lived I was born in Dublin my folks moved down the country down to the Midlands and of course I came dashing b- back up here as mm-hmm. like a, a gay 18, 19 year old uh, to live my best gay life <laughs> um, which I had loads of fun I was mm-hmm. having a great time it was pod it was strictly handbag in the kitchen it was ham it was all of that era I mean Dublin was alive it was really you could feel it like, was in that the, in the 80s 90s that was the late 90s, late 90s uh, right. so kind of 96 onwards I'm sure it was well alive before then as well but I didn't arrive till then so. well no you brought it to life <laughs> they were all club names by the way in case people were wondering um, yeah. <laughs> it was a long time ago yes. what, was, what was it like growing up kind of gay in Ireland especially if you're in the Midlands um, I guess when I was eight year old in Dublin being a little gay boy which I kind of knew I was at that stage it was all great I was doing ballroom dancing and disco dancing and then we moved to Leash, to a little oh, village God. of 200 people. So all of a sudden I find myself uh, kind of like the odd one out uh, in a small, like going from a normal school with classes mm-hmm. to like a school which had three classrooms and you were in oh, with God. three other classes in your room and they were all big farmers and mothers. <laughs> and, you know, a farmer on the leash. So that was probably a little bit more difficult because um, I was very much aware I was the gay kid who was quite different down mm-hmm. there. But of course, as soon as I could uh, spread okay. my wings, I was back to Dublin. So They're not called wings, babes. <laughs> <laughs> 
always go back to anatomy <laughs> class. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and so you came to Dublin. Your life just obviously was able to. You, you were able to spread your wings. For, for yeah, I mean, I was having a great time. It was parties all the time. I mean, I was working. I was working in uh, the Stevens Green in a clothes shop there, which doesn't exist anymore. The shirt shop, you might remember it. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. And uh, you I were was one of the shirt lifters. I was one of the shirt <laughs> I did like when there was cute guys in the, in the changing rooms. It was loads of fun. Um, and I was working in Eddie Rockets part-time. I don't even know how, how I had time to party, but I had money to party because I was working so much. And we were, I was doing a bit of modelling with Tara Sly out in RTE on 12 to 1, uh, which Great. was quite good fun. I was in uh, doing my drag at that stage. I was wearing a little blue suit, a little blue lady suit, and Chanel with Patrick Cox shoes. And... Uh, on RTE, yeah. on RTE, Marty said I had great legs. So oh well, there, that's your claim to fame, isn't it? <laughs> I'm sure your parents love that. Marty said I had Patrick's cocks. Shoes, <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, shoes. I mean, I guess then the, the, the kind of party kind of came to an end, kind of March '97, when I kind of went to the Gay Men's Health Project up in. Um, Baggett Street at the time. Mm-hmm. 97. 97. It was just after wow. Shirley had won uh, the following year. We had performed to at the Island. So it was maybe two or three weeks after that. Wow. I was up there and um, I was actually, I was there to get my results. I guess I was mm-hmm. up for the test maybe two weeks before that. Um, and the good news was you're positive. And you're very young. I was 21. So not too young. I mean, I was twenty one younger, but yeah. um, well, it's still a shock. It right? was a huge shock. I yeah, mean, I thought I was invincible. I was having the time of my life. How could this happen? Well, it was because you weren't having sex. Or you were having sex without condoms sometimes. Mm. Uh, of course, you know. Wow. But you, we we always think this doesn't happen to me. You know, it's no. almost like for other people. You Absolutely, know? you're invincible. And I, I think mm-hmm. at that stage as well, you didn't see like there wasn't really evidence of HIV in Ireland. You, you, didn't see it it wasn't like the images you saw on television of like the gravestones and people with lesions and like that wasn't evident on the scene in Dublin that's interesting for me to hear because you know I hear lots of people who were very much involved and did really did see the AIDS crisis in Ireland and then from you who was also part of the scene it wasn't much part of your world was it I think like the AIDS crisis in Dublin probably was a little bit before that because mm-hmm. uh, like the emergence of HIV in Ireland kind of came along before I arrived mm-hmm. and maybe calmed down a little bit by the time I was there. Mm-hmm. The figures weren't huge. Um, there wasn't a huge amount of transmission at that stage. Mm-hmm. So, um, But yes, it was an absolute shock. I was like, eek, what do I do now? Yeah. What happens next? So I, I remember at the time um, the counsellor who uh, was there when I was told the news was like, so uh, where do you live and who do you live with and uh, what kind of support network do you have? And I'm like, well, I live just off Dorset Street um, and my, my flatmate is out at work tonight. And he's like, well, I'm not letting you go out, go home uh, alone. So he, he drove me to Minute to my friend John. Uh, now, John is a, is a doctor in biology um, mm-hmm. and very knows a lot about science. Um, but he was a great guy to go to. I mean, he's been my stalwart friend ever Aww. since. Um, he's he's going to be 50 in two weeks' time, actually. Or next week, yeah. Um, Happy birthday, John. Birthday, John. <laughs> Happy birthday, John. And he's, he's been there all along the way with the facts, you know, mm-hmm. not the stigma and not the lies or the, mm-hmm. I, I don't know, the, the myths. Yeah, feeding into the myths and myths. Yeah. I'm amazed that uh, you and I were twinks at pretty much around the same time in that same scene. How dare you? Sorry, you were just a little older than me. (laughs) (laughs) How, how, you know, how 
I can imagine myself at that age if that had happened to me then I didn't mm. receive a diagnosis for a good another 10 years of of living high mm-hmm. and not worrying about that kind of thing um, so it's been a really long time 26 coming on 27 years next year so yeah a long time oh, I've, wow. I've been longer HIV positive than I've been HIV negative at this age wow. isn't that wild pretty amazing I say that about the sad side <laughs> 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 It's true. <laughs> in your veins, true and true, babe. So is HIV. Yeah. <laughs> Can I bring you back, sorry, to your point of diagnosis? Because um, in 1997, protease inhibitors were just on the market. Um, and it wasn't, they could say it's not a death sentence anymore, right? Or was it just coming around or could they give you that much information? I mean, so it was a few weeks after that before I had my first actual GUM appointment up in St. James's. Because okay. uh, all this was done in, in, in the Gay Men's Health mm-hmm. Project. Um so this was the first time I managed to get to discuss my diagnosis with a GUM doctor mm-hmm. um, and drugs weren't mentioned. I mean, I didn't go on treatment for maybe eight years after my first diagnosis. Wow. And I think at the time they, they just weren't sure like whether it was beneficial to put people on drugs straight away or to wait a little bit because like my T-cells were really high and my yeah. viral load was really low. It wasn't. Uh, and I was healthy, like yeah. I was a healthy young man. So. And the side effects of those protease inhibitors weren't great, especially in the liquid oh. form still as well, or, you know, so it was better that they held you off. Uh, well, I think so. And when I did eventually go on drugs, I mean, the side effects were horrendous. It was a horrible time. Um, I think, God, I probably spent about 10 years having, con- like, well, not constant diarrhea, but diarrhea was a, a daily mm-hmm. kind of part of my life. Yeah. And I thought that that was going to be like that for the rest of my life. So mm-hmm. as the drugs have gotten better over the years, that's gone away, so that's good, thank God. Can I ask what medicine that was? Uh, that was Sestiva and Combevere. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I think I moved on to maybe Sestiva and a Tripla. And now Trimec, which is brilliant. Yes. Um, like, I have no side effects with Trimec. Mm-hmm. So, I hate a Tripla. Um, we are. <laughs> we, we Give me Sestiva over a Tripla any day. <laughs> Can I ask happens. you something? Were you having sex before you went on medication? And well, so how were you thinking or feeling mm-hmm. about that? Um, I guess, uh, I mean, I was quite shocked and angry for years. And I mean, a lot of my focus went into kind of securing my future and working towards buying my own home. And sex wasn't necessarily um, my priority. Um, and I think, like, I, I wouldn't have been necessarily discussing my status with sexual partners, mm-hmm. just practicing safe sex. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then I think within the, ne- the next 15 years of my life on from that, from the initial diagnosis, were in relationships with other HIV positive men. So it kind of took that out of it. I didn't have to necessarily worry about that on a day-to-day basis. Uh-huh. And even though I might have been having casual sex with other people, it would have been not necessarily a discussion about HIV. Mm-hmm. It wasn't something that I necessarily thought that people needed to know as long as we were being safe. Yes. Of course. I remember when I, after my diagnosis, in the same situation as you, they weren't putting me on medication yet. And you, because you wasn't really a thing. Mm-hmm. And the whole sex thing wasn't really a thing for me mostly. And then when it was, it would normally be under really bad circumstances and make me feel really awful. Even though I was practicing safe sex, it was just that, that feeling a lot of shame and guilt and, and like I was hiding something from someone or almost fooling someone into something you know yeah no I, I get that you do feel like there's a deception involved when, yeah. when there's not really you're just trying to live your best life and get your little bit so yes uh, which you deserve 
Yes, oh my god, yeah, I'm singing a different tune now. <laughs> <laughs> it is the Renaissance, for uh-huh. sure. Um, just for people who may not know, now we start people on treatment straight away. We try and get, um, we don't have to wait until their CD4 count goes under 350. Um, and what the research shows is the quicker that you start on medication, the better the long-term outcomes for your health is too. And we get you undetectable super quick and you can't pass on HIV. So we stop HIV transmission and HIV only affects the person that lives with it. So um, that's the kind of model of care that we use now. But it just shows how different it was Absolutely. even back in 1997. But even when we were like, well, I was diagnosed in 2012 and you would still wait until your, your CD4 count is under 350. The STAR trial in 2015 changed all that. And just for people who may not know this, we're drinking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Rockshore as well. Thank you so much. Self-medication. It was on a special in Little and I'm married to a Brazilian man and that's all I'm going to say. You know, you cannot be paying like A beautiful Brazilian man. Yeah, he will not allow me to pay nine quid for a course like <laughs> when, you, when you can get a few free cans of Rockshore for that same price. Anyway. Anyway, <laughs> that was promotion. We are the RuPaul's of alcohol. Here we are. Um, how did you find dating with HIV? Or uh, you, you said you're zero sort, so you found you're looking for other people living with HIV. How did that? How did work? you meet them? Mm. Um, well, I mean, the first guy I met on a trip to Edinburgh, I and mean, he was somebody who lived in London. Um, so we had this long distance, long term relationship, which went on for about five years. Um, it was perfect. It filled the void. Uh, you mm-hmm. go across to London, or he'd be back here every three or four weeks. The void. The filled Dying. void. As in, you were, <laughs> you were getting your bit, and you, you could survive a few weeks without uh, it. Yeah. You know? <laughs> but it just took a lot of stress and stigma of conversations. It was like yeah. not having to worry about um, having sex with nags. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. You know, it it was the easy route, I think. Yeah. Um, um, and then when that relationship split up, I just happened to fall into a relationship with another HIV positive man and when that relationship five years later broke up I fell back into the relationship with the London guy for no five way. years yeah wow uh, so how yeah. did he come back into your life if you don't mind me asking oh I mean oh god that's a difficult one I mean after ignoring each other for five years <laughs> after a difficult break a breakup just uh trying to contact somebody who mm-hmm. I mean like I was very young um, I don't think I knew what I wanted and our, the end of our relationship wasn't necessarily because it was a terrible relationship it was just because the practicalities of it didn't mm-hmm. work and I probably met number two while I was still dating number one so it wasn't a fault with number one it was just that number two was maybe more convenient so. mm-hmm. a fault in our stars as they say yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, moving forward you because you came into your life the science behind it. When what happened when you first heard it? When did you start believing it? Uh, like, so U equals U really is only, like it's only out there in the public. I think since two thousand sixteen, two thousand eighteen. But I was aware from two thousand and nine, two thousand and ten. Oh, tell us how. Well, I was spending a lot of time in London. I mean, the gay population with HIV in London is. is a lot greater than in Dublin it's like maybe one in 12 uh, gay men mm-hmm. in London are HIV positive or living mm-hmm. with HIV um, so I guess there was a lot more knowledge and a lot more conversations going on um, and just being at parties and there was doctors and my ex was involved with uh, like HIV conferences so they had the information I mean they were aware of the studies that were going on they knew that people weren't passing on HIV who were on effective treatment so it kind of was out there in the public domain just we couldn't talk about it because 
the science wasn't telling us we could talk about it. It wasn't saying this mm-hmm. is official. But you knew from mother to baby transmissions, they were down because they were on... Since the therapies. 2000s, mm. we learned that, early 2000s. So. so, like, if you followed the science, the science was telling you that if you were on effective treatment, you couldn't, couldn't pass it on. Pass. But it wasn't out there in the public yeah. domain. And I have to say, when it did come out into the public domain, it was, like, just such a relief to hear it. Yeah. And to hear doctors saying it out loud to the HIV-positive population and to the world in general... Um, that you equals you means you guys can have sex without worrying about transmitting it. Was it so you didn't have a process of unlearning it? You were kind of doing that throughout the years. Um, like yeah, I mean, I I had l- I, I, risk, I, I was aware, but obviously you couldn't put that necessarily into practice yeah, because nobody was telling you you have a license to go and do this. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just overjoyed to hear it come out. Um. I still didn't believe it fully mm-hmm. when it was put out there in the public domain and the more I heard it and the more it was reinforced by U equals U campaigns uh-huh. um, the more real it became and I mean well, that's five, six, seven years ago life has changed so much since then because of U equals U it's amazing I know and I'm laughing because I'm like I didn't believe it either and then I was just like once I did believe it then I really wanted everybody to know it <laughs> <laughs> and I've been on a bit of a mission with it since I know <laughs> but yeah it was because I didn't even believe it myself and then I realised how effed up that was that I didn't even believe it myself then you know I well guess. that's a kind of a common well, common enough actually so there's a really interesting study that came out of Australia recently and what they did was they wanted to look at people's uh, belief systems around you because you the science of you because you so as how many people thought it was accurate within the gay and bi community okay um, and the people who thought it was most accurate and believed in it were um, gay and bi men who lived with HIV so we believe in the science but it's still 87% or something like that that means 13% of people didn't uh-huh. live in HIV the, pe- the next cohort of people who believed in it um, mostly was uh, HIV negative people but who were on PrEP. So they believed science but I think that was around 70 something but that's still like 30% people who just still don't think it's either true or they don't believe in the accuracy that's still zero point whatever. And then the people who least believed in it were people who are not engaged in services, sexual health services, not on PrEP. So it's really interesting from a campaigning point of view, who do we have to target? Who do we really have to reinforce the science to? The public. The public, just in general. Just everyone, really. It's interesting to me how there is a bit of a shift, or my perception is a bit of a shift, towards zero risk as a way of talking Mm -hmm. about it. And I liked it for a moment until I started using the hashtag. And I discovered, of course, that zero risk applies to so much stuff that's nothing to do with HIV. You know, um, from, from like... Brakes for your car to, you know, yeah. I mean, types of glass for your windows to whatever. Whereas U equals U is uniquely yeah. ours. Yeah. And it does exactly what it says on the tin. Yeah. I mean, yeah. undetectable, untransmissible. Yeah. yeah. It's quite Simple. scientific, you know. You have Terence Higgins Trust, you try to change it around saying, can't pass it on, but what can't you pass it on? And so, like, it, it, either way, it's, we can give, we can follow the movement of U equals U, but we really have to say from the horse's mouth. At the Gala's Award, I said, um, and thanks to my, uh, I can't pass on HIV every time I come during sex with my boyfriend, he says thank you, you know, because I can't pass it on. And my mum, bless her, has to call me afterwards. She's like, I'm quite a shocker because she was watching the GCN live stream. 
Even I was a little bit shocked I said it on the Pride stage. <laughs> I said it on the Late Late Show. I said it on Tommy Turner. Because people just have to hear it. And I was like, ma'am, people have to hear it from the horse's mouth. Because otherwise... Don't it's just call a... Morris. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you're right. I mean, then, you have to explicitly say what it him. means. I mean, you like, do. just saying you can do. thank you. If it's not getting, <laughs> if it's not getting into people's skulls, then Does you have to spell it. and then say thank yeah. you. Yeah, <laughs> thank you, get off me. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it, it, it sounds so vulgar but in case we actually just say the normal mechanics of just what a sexual a healthy sexual relationship is um, and people actually hear it uh, my fella's negative for the past 10 years he can't get it up we don't have we have more condoms the last 6-7 years thanks to you Gujou, and until you keep saying it and I always say people can probably hear the science but as you say you have to reinforce it to keep having to hear it it's campaign after campaign after campaign people are so bored probably of us saying it but until it really is just normal knowledge we keep having to do it until they're bored to death yes exactly <laughs> that is the mission that's the mission uh-huh. what's dating life like now um, I'm not dating at the moment and I'm not really all that interested in dating Eek! What's that about? I might be turning asexual. Ooh. Wow. But, uh, no, I don't know. I mean, I'm not dating. Uh, I'm not interested in dating. I've spent a lot of time dating. I'm quite happy on my own. I have a dog. And that gives oh, me more love than, really than, than, than a man will ever give. So, mm-hmm. um, I still have sex occasionally, but that's not dating. Mm-hmm. Dogs are very healing, I think, for this for for the psyche just really amazing yeah, relationship to focus on nine, he's nine years healthy. old now and I, I think wow. my life has changed in the last nine years it's like that responsibility of having somebody who loves you unconditionally um, like a good uh, husband yeah. like Morris <laughs> oh, <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Um, my, I was joking even just yesterday that um, you know until my dog passed my husband was like my number two <laughs> you know he never got into fully pole position until mm-hmm. recently <laughs> It's true. Uh, yeah, my, my dog triggers definitely takes number one space. Like, I'd never get out of bed early for Morris, but I definitely would have trigger. <laughs> I've seen you on the way to work. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, what's date, uh, sex life? Like, what's life on Grinder for past people? Oh, so Grinder, I mean, that's a whole other world. What, what really bugs me about Grinder is. Now you've got stuff like tribes and you can like switch onto tribes and go into the HIV tribe. And oh my God, would you believe that there's six men in Ireland who are HIV positive? Would you believe uh-huh. it? Um, I mean, that's kind of what stigma is all about. That like people have to hide the fact that they're HIV even on uh, Grinder, even in a world of U equals U, even in a world where it's okay for somebody to say, I'm on PrEP. Um, it shouldn't matter anymore. If, some, if, if half of the gay population is on PrEP, and the other half are undetectable. Like, what, what are people worried about? It's time to open up and just say who you are. I love that. Um, and I, my observation, too, is that people, not people, I'm not talking about down about how people behave on Grindr, but just that there's a whole culture that involves marketing yourself in yeah. a certain way to be successful. So even, like, super handsome young lads are only torso picks on grinder and then you're like why would you be only a torso pick never mind tell you anything personal about themselves or their hiv status or beyond saying maybe negative on prep or whatever Mm -hmm. and it's just a whole culture of compromise and i i don't 
hit very often on Grinder, but I tend to match more, I think, in a more sincere way with people who I probably am gonna have better sex with because I'm fully myself on Grinder. Mm-hmm. Um, but then on the downside is a lot of like bug chasers and people who want to talk dirty to me about being paws. Do you, you get know? that often? Yeah, I get it quite a bit. Yeah, I get that too. That's it's kind of fun to play with them. Uh, a little bit. Play with <laughs> up to a point. Up to a point. And then the call their bluff. Yeah, kind of. Oh, I don't know about calling their bluff, but I don't know. I just try try to not mislead them. Mm. Is all. Uh, so I'm, I make I'm, sure to say you know that I'm the last person in the world that could possibly give you HIV. That's the ironic you know. thing. Uh, I'm, I'm, while it's a double standard after what I said about tribes and grinder, I don't have my pos status up there. But as soon as I start chatting to somebody and they ask about me, I will tell them uh-huh. that I'm positive, undetectable. Um, uh-huh. That That is part of how I deal with, with it on, on grinder. I put uh-huh. it out there straight away. If they're not interested, they're not interested. Mm-hmm. If they are, great. Um, what I hate is the question, are you clean? Oh, yeah, completely. Is that still going around so much? Yeah, a bit, yeah. There's certain little triggery language as well in people's profiles that kind of say clean fun or clean fun only or... You know what I mean. It's just so unsexy, isn't it? It's just so, like... Ignorant or something, I don't know. Surely you'd be wanting dirty sex, not Yeah, 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 I'm I'm there, yeah. There's something about the word safe. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah, what does it mean? Like, what does it mean? Because I find safe unsexy. And that doesn't mean condoms. I mean, I'm fine with condoms. But when someone chooses the word safe over the word condoms, it just means something else to me. And I'm not sure how hot that is. Do you think like sex is sanitized almost? (laughs) Well, just, yeah, safe in every way. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that safe. Safe from who? Mm -hmm. Safe from what? From me? Yeah. Surely not. (laughs) Um... Look, you haven't really been out about your status over the last few decades, right? No, I haven't. Um, And to be honest, uh, you're one of the people who inspired me. I met you first. We were doing a forum for ACT UP uh, Mm -hmm. to talk about stigma with other HIV positive men. And I couldn't believe this young fella who came into the room who was like so so full of positive energy and like such a positive force and saying all the right things and all the things that I had wanted to hear Mm -hmm. on the gay community for years. But this was probably one of the first times other than in ACT UP meetings that I'd heard uh, such positive rhetoric around HIV. Um, And the forum itself, I mean, you could tell there was a lot of anger with some HIV positive people about stigma. Mm. um, And there still is. And there should be. We should be angry about the stigma that's out there. That's not our fault. Um, We're we're living with stigma more than anybody else. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's not our fault, but yeah, you were an inspiration um, and your story. And when I watched you on, on Late Late Show, I, I think I, I shed a tear. Now, that doesn't happen very often. Anyways, so. <laughs> I broke you down. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> and of course, I mean, Veda, when you came out with your status, and pa- I think Patty had done it, come out with her status a few years before, I'm like, well, then we've got two fierce allies and mm-hmm. queens who are going to fight the, the good fight because you mm-hmm. can't keep a good queen down, I guess. Yeah. Thank you so much, but it's not about me. I want to say before we change the subject that Robbie is one of the people who inspired me too. And that Robbie's speech at the galas was spectacular. And so many people said to me afterwards, Robbie should be a politician. And I was like, he doesn't want to be a politician. But if he did want to be a politician, I would devote my whole life (laughs) to make sure he was elected. You know, because you're just such an incredible hero for someone who's living with HIV. Of the Irish. Of the Irish. (laughs) Of (laughs) the Irish. Of 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 the Irish. Of
he can do what I can do. No, but I think um, I, I prefer to be an agitator for politicians, and I think I feel sorry for politicians sometimes um, because they get a lot of the brunt of it. And then you talk to politicians, it's actually the civil servants who actually have most of the power, and they're just figureheads. I know, I'm looking at one now. <laughs> you have the real power, Patrick. I don't. Um, so. You're on this journey. I've seen other people being out about the status, hitting all the right things. Um, something was holding you back, though, right, from coming out. Yeah, and like you know, my parents are still living in a small village of two hundred people. Um, they're in their seventies. I'm kind of thinking to myself, do they need to know about my status yeah. 20, 25 years down the line? I mean, like, I probably needed the support of them twenty years ago, and I didn't seek it. I don't need it so much now, but I I have come out to them only about a year ago with my status. <gasps> Which was uh, kind of traumatic. I mean, like this whole HIV journey does have like its its highs and its lows, but mm. there is a lot of tea. <laughs> tell, tell us if if that's okay with you about coming out to your parents. So I mean, we we we've been I've been home for the weekend, and all my family live in the same little village with their wives and their children, etc. And we had a party in one of my brother's house, so there was a few drinks had, and I had flipped and flopped about whether I was going to actually disclose to my parents for months and months and months and that particular weekend I've been speaking to a guy um, his name is Patrick as well he was the same age as me and he was living in a town 20 miles away and he was HIV positive and his family knew and I'm like what is actually stopping me like I mean if they don't like it I can just go back up to Dublin and forget about it anyway so uh-huh. it's no big deal and then I kind of thought look I'm just going to do it alcohol helps uh-huh <laughs> But no, they were cool. Um, it kind of went in. They understood it. I think over the years, my mum is a big soap fan. And I think yeah. over the years, soap has educated a lot of people, yeah. whether it's an EastEnder story or a Carnation Street it's story. It's one as well, yeah. Like, it, it is amazing as, as a voice for getting these things out there. And like, I think TV has a great platform, especially soap writers, to actually do these kind of stories and tell a new story rather than this old story of get HIV, be miserable, die. The Mark Fowler effect. But we're at, we're at your kitchen sink right mm. now. <laughs> we were, we're out not, in the pergola. Not, <laughs> <laughs> Fancy. And tell me the script. You said, <laughs> she said. You know, it's one of those situations where I'm telling them and I'm like, look, I don't want you to worry and this isn't something you need to worry about. I mean, this is something that I've been living with for 25 years. So I'm not going to die. It's not going to affect your lives in any way uh-huh. this is just something that I feel like I need to actually get oh. off my chest uh, once and for all um, and you know I like god I think my dad hugged me which is probably the first hug I'd had off my dad for years and uh-huh. um, like mum was in tears I was in tears you know, you know one dad hug is all it takes it is <laughs> but the funny thing is the next time I was home my mum said to me you did tell us you were HIV positive. <laughs> Imagine that. All that fucking trauma that I went through uh-huh. deciding whether I was good at it. You're still questioning whether I actually told you. Oh. Well, how many drinks did you have? Uh, <laughs> there was a few. My mum, my mum could drink me under the table. She was like, "Is he saying what I think he's saying?" She's a legend. And it, like, isn't it so funny? We build it up so much bigger in, in your head. head. It's just in your head. Oh, I hope people get so much inspiration from that story. Well, look, I, I think like if you're living with HIV and you haven't come out. There's no reason for you not to. I mean, if people love you, they'll accept you for who you are. And if they don't love you, well, then you're better off without them in your life anyway. So It's not such a harsh reality. It's very hard for people to hear that. You know, and I think we can say because we've had good experiences with family. 
But for people who may have bad reactions, you know, that's just a very hard thing to sit with as well, you know? Yeah. But thank God for our mums. <laughs> no, your mums are great. Your mums are great. Are. And how would you feel after coming out? Uh, like elated. But then you like you walk away from the situation you go, that was it? That was it? <laughs> I mean, I kind of expected like, I don't know, a parade. <laughs> but there wasn't. There was no parade. It was just, well, there's the story and it's fine. And they were fine. And that's great. Do you know, one thing I hear so often from people who want to come out about their status is, and I've said it a lot of time in this podcast is, my parents are too old, they won't understand it. And your parents understood it very easily, right? Yeah, I mean, it was. it's not rocket science, let's face it, Robbie. I think people make up these excuses the whole time. And, and I understand that. I mean, like, I, like, I think it's a lot different for maybe, and you didn't come out with your status for 10 years yeah. to your mum. But people living on the scene in Dublin and performing on the scene in Dublin maybe have a lot bigger license because their parents maybe will kind of know more about seeing my parents are like in the middle of nowhere going what mm. I remember years ago bumped into Pat Kent on the street with my ma and Pat Kent was like a bit like camp and whatever I'm no like, he wasn't ushering <laughs> like, he's still around right I'm like ushering her, her away before he could say hello to me uh-huh. so I wouldn't be embarrassed but who's like, Pat Kent he used to run the plate was the plate the playground. playground that was great yeah. night I forgot about the playground <laughs> <laughs> you get your salad in the night as well yeah there was a buffet the buffet salad buffet laws. you had to have food to have a late life. it's license. like a fucking wet bar during COVID it was like a 21st it was on great yolks. yeah and they're like, like <laughs> <laughs> yolks well, I think it was before yolks it was like house music yolks on <laughs> the 21st and lots of poppers yeah sounds like a great night yeah yes. it was yeah. <laughs> it was a great night <laughs> <laughs> sounds like a good playground um, what were we saying before that I got no distracted idea, oh no Pat Kent, Paul Kent or whatever <laughs> well, um, so your man didn't really have much of a reference for uh, the gay scene let alone HIV where, where like I mean I think it might be different if you're on the scene in Dublin and uh, you're very much out there like I mean like Panty has a license mm-hmm. she has a platform to say who she is and she's a fierce bitch like mm-hmm. let's face it and you're a fierce bitch mm-hmm. and you'll say what you want simple yes, as that you may not if I you're guess. just a gay man living with HIV who's like hoping that nobody would realise you have HIV. I think I remember when I was diagnosed first, it was like there was a, a flashing neon light, flashing HIV AIDS, HIV mm-hmm. AIDS. And it like it took years for that flashing neon light to go to disappear from my head. I couldn't understand that other people couldn't see that it was happening. Uh-huh. It was that real for me, you know? It's wild, isn't it? It's, it's crazy. It was very real for me too, and it is for a lot of people still, but it's incredible as well how much it can change, how quickly you can move along on your journey how you can have experiences like we had on Saturday night and just think wow how could this have ever been a negative thing in my now life now those neon lights I'm paused is a good thing <laughs> yeah. kind of like see me pause vibes yeah exactly but only <laughs> well visibility is everything yeah. you know and I feel like we've, we're visible on, um, in our community and for our community and you are visible and becoming more visible by the day and by working with us on this and to then be seen by the community and acknowledged for that, that it mirrors that back to you and just encourages other people to do what we are doing. It's not just what we say about us, it's what other people say about us too. Mm-hmm. And that's what's so moving about us winning that award mm-hmm. together on Saturday. 
it's amazing what time can do as well what's such a big thing and like what you're worried about people thinking about you 20 years ago uh-huh. and now it's just really bad you know don't they don't like what you. you think yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're yeah. About you. They were right <laughs> ages ago that's how I feel I'm just like yeah like why would I care now can I ask on a ratio how many good reactions have you had to bad um, do you know I guess mostly positive but that's because I've avoided the negative reactions I mean like I said with 15 years of having relationships with other HIV positive people that's 15 years taken out of the mm-hmm. 26 years that but I wasn't worried don't discriminate about. against us <laughs> <laughs> it's not a bad thing that they were HIV positive no I mean it's great <laughs> like you know like you were able to be I was able to be myself with those uh-huh. people where yeah. if I was maybe with somebody who was negative who was less familiar with people who are positive, it would have been a lot more difficult for those 15 years. So, yeah, I know it was really positive to have relationships with positive people too. And it's amazing that you now get to really be yourself with your mom and dad. Yeah, well, I mean, I probably don't because nothing really changes. Like, let's exactly. face it. Uh-huh. Like, I've, I've always been myself. I've just not disclosed my HIV status. Unsaid is said, and for you, it's like an elephant in a room that has been unspoken for years and years and years. And although it hasn't been said again, everyone knows and it's okay. And the elephant just goes out of the room. But it, the heaviness is gone. So while I haven't had a huge amount of negative experiences, I, I am very much aware of stigma. Like I have been in workplaces where I've sat there in the canteen and heard people saying stuff about yeah. HIV AIDS. And you're like, God, I'm so glad I didn't tell these people about my status. Um, yeah. It's like some of the uneducated, horrible things that people will just actually throw out there without even thinking. It's terrible in this day and age. Do you know what? There, there, there are the reasons. There, there are the times when I'm like, I'm paused. <laughs> because they say all these horrible things because they don't know anyone living with HIV. Like, they probably would have called people faggots without knowing a gay person knowing how much you hurt them or something, Absolutely. you know? Beforehand. But at that time, when you're vulnerable and you're just hearing it, it's obviously a hard time to do it. But when um, overcoming stigma becomes like your superpower, I just can't wait for those times. I'm oh. just like, bring them on. I've stopped telling taxi drivers, finally. <laughs> <laughs> finally. Oh, have they started sleeping with finally. you again? Yeah. <laughs> they never stopped. No. <laughs> I haven't had sex with a taxi driver in years. That's because you live so it's close to town. There's not enough time. I walk. I walk. I'm grinding. <laughs> I have to walk. It takes more time to get home. Why would you be on your grinder in a taxi? Oh, I just I snorted on right your podcast. Past. Perfect. We're keeping it in. We snort lots on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Patty, before we go, we talked earlier a little bit about um, how we would often end on a positive note. We did, and I told you I hadn't prepared um, anything. Would you like to do a dance instead then? I know yeah. that you love to dance. Swing dance. Look, I, I guess like if you want a positive note it's just be yourself guys I mean don't worry about the rest of the world like they'll catch up and if they don't we'll drag them up simple exactly. as that just be yourself uh, and don't worry about what people might think about you you won't see them the next day if, yeah. if, if they like cut them out if they're not going to help you cut them out like and a scissor sister. Like a scissor, like a scissor sister. sister. Well, on that positive note, I think we... Yeah, You're my scissor sisters, and I'm talking about the band, not the murderer. <laughs> <laughs> Although we're pretty close to the canal. Yeah, <laughs> and a few Wrong canal. <laughs> Patrick Martin, thank you so much for coming on. How does it feel? Um, well, you know, it's always great to see you girls. <laughs> Linda um, Martin. <laughs> Terminal <laughs> tree. Why me? (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much. And um, remember to stay positive. Oh, no choice. Stay powerful. Bye. 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 
Thank you so much for listening to Pause Vibe Podcast. Make sure to subscribe wherever you listen so that you never miss an episode. Thank you.